This morning's reading is from Romans chapter 5, verse 15 through 6, 7. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded by, for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into, Jesus Christ, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried before him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade, depending on who you ask. Um, please pray with me. Father, we have asked for new vision today. We've asked for new eyes. We've asked for a newness to come about, not only for our church, but for our city. And my ask, Holy Spirit, is that you would wash over the minds and the hearts of everyone here, that the things that should be in the past would be washed away and erased forever in the past, and the things that you want to make new, that you would make those new. That's your power and that's your ability. So God, do your work today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, today's message will feel very much like a New Year's message. Uh, in the sense that this is the time where we talk self-improvement and resolutions and kind of resolve to fix some area of our life or every area of our life, what we want to leave in the 2010s or 2019, what we want to do in 2020. Um, but this is more than just a New Year's message for you. It's more than just a New Year's message for LMCC. It is that. There is a vision that God has for you for this year. There are... Um, ideas that God has for our church this year that we need to take ownership of, that we need to embrace and we need to walk in. 
But I believe this message is more than just a New Year's message. I think it's more like an evergreen message. That's something that you can return to whenever you sense God saying, it's time for something new. Whenever you walk into a new stage of life, a new part of your life, whenever he presses on an area that he says, I'm done with you walking in that way, I want you to go in a new direction. Because God doesn't work on our timetable. He's not bound by our calendars in the sense that he's waiting for January 1st to come to bring something new into your life, the way that we often think. He, at any moment, at any day, at any time, can come and say, I'm bringing a new blessing, I'm bringing a new calling, I'm bringing a new revival to you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Will you hop on board and walk in this new direction? Or will you still live in the old? And so my hope today is that we embrace what the Scriptures, this one specifically, calls newness of life. That word newness has been resounding in my mind these last few months as what God wants to do here in this church, that we are in a new day and a new season, and there is a newness to who we are as a church, what God has asked us to be as a church, but God never wants to do something corporately without beginning individually, which means that if He wants it for our church, He wants it for you. And that language of newness is just filled throughout the rest of the Scriptures. That's what God does. When he came with Christ to save you, he says, if you believe in him, you're a new creation. You have a new mind. You have a new heart. You have new hopes. You have new healing. You have a new physical body that is being renewed day by day. This language of newness permeates the way you're supposed to experience life in Christ. The real question is, are you experiencing it? Is the experience described in the Scripture about what it means to be in faith and to be made new your experience, or is there a gap? Personally, it's very easy for me to see there is a gap between the language of Scripture and this idea of newness of life and the life that I lead every single day. And I think that's true for most Christians. And Christianity as a religion has communicated a settling for that. And God is done with us settling for less than the full measure of newness that he wants us to live out. And so this year is going to be about newness here in this church. Newness for you in the sense of new and better. Because the two words that God has given me to emphasize for us is newness and equipping. That I can't call you to live out something new without giving you the resources and the training and the guidance to actually accomplish it. Because God doesn't do that. He doesn't just paint a picture and say, go figure it out. He says, this is what I have for you and here's how I'm going to empower you to accomplish it. And so this sermon series is called Upgrade because every week, we're going to be looking at something new that God wants to bring into your life, and then we're going to attempt to resource you that you can do the work to go and live out that new area of your life. So if you're not on our email list, 
I'm asking you to sign up because I'm going to be sending out resources to our entire church to just say, let me put these in your hands. You don't need me to walk beside you to accomplish some of these things. You need to be with God and let him hold your hand and walk you into the newness that he's designed for you. So we're going to resource you. And that's what the whole class that Marcy's starting next Sunday is all about. How do we put all the resources into your hands to accomplish all that God has for you? New and better. It's an upgrade. And if you, like me, can see that there is a gap in the living experience of what God wants for you versus what you actually experience, I have good news for you. It's a learned experience. It's achievable. It's something that you can study. It's something that you can practice. It is something that you can become great at. And that's my hope. Um, I listen to too many podcasts, but one of my favorites is is by a guy named Ryan Hawk. It's called The Learning Leader Show. And the entire idea behind the show is the, this large jump and gap between when you're a successful employee to when you be get promoted to be a manager. Because if any of you have made that jump, you know that the habits of success that made you a good employee are not the same habits that you can live out that are going to make you a good manager. And he recognized as a successful salesman that when he became a manager, it was such a huge jump that he was actually a bad boss. And so he set out to become an excellent boss by researching and studying and interviewing all these people that had sustained excellence in leadership and in management so that he could take their practices, their principles, and then apply them to his life. And you and I, we do the same thing. That in our careers, if we take a next step, We study, we go after it, we look at people that we think are successful, we want to be like, and we say, what do they do that I can do? And we try to adopt that, and we try to make it our own. And yet, when it comes to faith, we too often treat faith in Christ as an accessory, as something that we're going to just add on to the existence of our life. Or we treat it like a side hustle where we have our real life that we live, and then there's the side hustle of Christianity that we'll practice when we have time in hopes that it kind of adds to our life. But Christ is not an accessory, and he is certainly not a side hustle. What we find in this passage is that it says Christ is the access point. He is the access to this newness of life, and he is the only place where you can find it and live it out every day. And so I want to lay out for you how this scripture describes this newness of life so that you could walk in it. Because that language of newness is a new state of being performed by the Holy Spirit that takes you to a new plane of understanding of what life is all about and what God has designed you for. And there are two phrases in this passage that really describe it best. And so I want to unpack those two phrases. The first phrase is reign in life. Reign in life. And the second phrase is that you might walk in it. You might walk in it. Reign in life. I have been obsessed with this phrase this whole week. 
everybody I've talked to, everybody I've texted with, I, I can't stop bringing it up because I want it. You want it. We want to be excellent and successful in life. In every relationship, we want to be seen as the best. We want to be seen as a good husband or a good wife, a good friend, a good student, successful in our career and everything that we do. We want to reign in life. Why? It's because that's what God had designed you for from the beginning. It wasn't that Christ showed up and all of a sudden God wanted you to be successful. It's that at the very beginning in creation, he made you to be like him and have dominion so that you could cultivate what is good and right and perfect and be successful. And even when he established the nation of Israel, he established them to be successful. So much so that they would be a blessing to all nations. There's an entire part of our scripture called the wisdom literature. It literally means how to reign in life. That it is giving you the skills, it is giving you the understanding of how life works so that you can win at that game. God designed for you to be successful, to reign in life. So why aren't we? And the answer is found in this passage by describing how we trade thrones that we have to trade thrones. The language of reigning is not just used for reigning in life in this passage, but it's also describing how death can reign in our life. And so when you trade something, that means that you let go of things so that you can get something else. And what God is asking you to let go of are the things that you want to let go of. They're the habits that you hate. The things that you do and then you feel guilty and shameful and embarrassed about. The things you don't want anybody to know that you do. They're the hurts of the past that people have done to you that you've never told anyone about. They're the sins that you're walking in or the pain that you're walking in right now that you feel like it is the cloud over your life preventing you from doing anything else. It are the circumstances that you think define you and limit you. These are the things he wants to trade the way the scriptures describe it is that of death through sin. It's the same thing. The hurt and actions that you do that are harmful to you and others, the scriptures describe as sin that causes death to reign over you. Everything that causes destruction, everything that causes pain is sourced in sin. And he wants you to let go of it. That's part of the upgrade. When you get the new iPhone... You're not going to walk around with your old phone. You're not going to walk around with it and go, you know, I I know this new phone does a lot more than this, but man, that first model iPhone, I just can't get rid of it. No, you put it in in the nice packaging in the Apple box and you save in the bottom of the closet for some unknown reason. (laughs) You get rid of it. And God is asking you to get rid of it of those sinful habits and behaviors. And I want you to know why. Because he's not just after moral perfection in this life for you. There's something more at stake. Because what you're trading is not immorality for morality. What you're trading are trading realities. 
You're trading a material reality that you think is what you live in for the spiritual reality that actually defines existence. God is spirit. And those who want to walk in freedom must worship in spirit and truth. We live not in a materialistic reality in the physical realm that you tangibly touch and feel and see. There is a spiritual reality that actually defines the physical, and it influences the physical. The only way that you reign in life is understanding that this life is spiritual as much as it is physical. And the more that I've wrestled with this, the more it is the only thing that makes the scriptures make sense. Because when the life of Christ, as he comes and excels, he does a few things that don't make sense unless spiritual defines physical instead of physical defining spiritual. He fasts and says he's full. He does the will of God and says that fills him when a few minutes before he said he was hungry. That spiritual activity causes a physical change in his body. He talks to the Samaritan woman at the well about thirst and tells her that she's thirsting after affection and love and approval and pleasure from men. But he says, I carry with me a living water that you'll never be thirsty again. And so he has a spiritual water that can solve that lust problem that you have. That can satisfy that physical affection that you're longing for but can't get anymore. That there is a spiritual that affects the physical. Which has helped me understand why pornography is so damaging in relationships. And... Pornography is now something that is not just being attacked by Christians, but it's being attacked by like the self-improvement world, where they're describing it as something that, as they have studied in science, that affects your brain, affects the chemical wiring of it, affects how you see people, it affects how you treat them as transactions, as consumers. And so they see it as a physical effect on your body and on relationships, But what's actually happening when you participate in pornography or any private sin is that you are sowing into spiritual realms of evil that have effects spiritually. Why does your marriage on the rocks? Well, maybe it's the private sin that you've been hiding and haven't discussed. Why are relationships with the opposite sex so difficult? Well, maybe there's some private sin that you've sowed and so it's causing physical ramifications because of a spiritual reality in your life. When you are trading thrones... For death from sin into Christ who reigns on high, you are stepping into a spiritual reality and understanding life to its fullest, not life to its limits in the physical realm. The spiritual activity you do affects the physical. In fact, it supersedes it. It is stronger than it. It can overcome it. That's why we can pray and people can get physically healed. That's why we can pray over someone and their emotional wounds from the past can be healed in an instant. That's why when you forgive someone, it's not merely about you uh, rebuilding trust, but it's releasing on a spiritual level any obligation that they have owing you anything anymore. There is a spiritual trade that you have to make. And you're always trading up when you're trading up with God. Because when death reigns in your life, it only destroys you and dominates you. When Christ reigns in your life, he says you reign with him in life. That's the offer of Christ, that you're united with him, 
co-heirs, fellow kings and queens alongside of him leading and reigning in this life with the power to actually do it. Now, in our modern minds, when we hear reigning, we too often think about it as a positional and often political hierarchy. And so we think about reigning as if it's going to cause us to uh, climb up some corporate ladder or political ladder or spiritual ladder. But he's saying, no, you reign over the individual aspects of your life. Every circumstance no longer determines how you feel. That you can reign over that. That you can reign in your marriages. That you can reign in your singleness. That you can reign even in the middle of pain. That God has that power and you are trading up. That's why it says that the grace that he gives you through Christ and the gift of righteousness is much more than the power of sin. That it is actually an abundance. It is an overflowing. This is not an equal trade. It's much, much better. And the only way that that happened was through Christ stepping off of his throne. Trading it for our world and your brokenness and your sin. And then through his crucifixion and resurrection, accomplishing the name above every name, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God where it says there's pleasures forever. And then he says, I will seat you in the heavenly realms now, not just one day, but now. And so you can reign in this life as practice for reigning in the life to come. And one of the ways that I think that has illuminated my understanding of what God wants to do through our church and in this city is in the language of revival. I've used the language of revival in our church because I believe that God has asked us to be a part of a citywide revival that he's bringing to New York. And I don't think he's bringing it just to the city. I think it's something that he is doing across our country. And I'm begging him to do it. We need it. But if you study revivals, and maybe you even think this way, we think of it only on a spiritual effect. Even the Fulton Street Revival in the early 1900s, known as the Businessmen's Revival. Why is it known as that? It's because businessmen participated in it, not because it changed business. And so we think of revival solely as some spiritual experience or uh, spiritual worship or excitement. And so I've been asking God, what type of revival do you want to bring? Because if it's just some spiritual experience, I'm out. <laughs> I've seen that. I've been to big conferences and I've been to big worship arenas and all these things. It doesn't actually change people's lives. It's momentary pleasure and peace. But it can also be spiritual pornography. So what type of revival are you bringing? And what God has kind of pressed upon me is this idea of a professional revival. A revival that doesn't remove people from their work, but renews people for their work. Meaning that if you are revived by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that you leave behind your job and go into full-time ministry. Or go to the mission field, as some of you fear that God may call you to, right? <laughs> but that the Holy Spirit comes and renews your mind, renews your vision, and renews your understanding of your vocation and your calling in such a way that every industry is changed. Because God's not going to do away with industries. All of a sudden, he's not going to just turn that off, but he is going to change it. And a professional revival means that your job is not a drag for your life. It's part of God's design for your life. 
that that coworker is not just a pain, but part of the purpose in which God has placed you where he has you. That he has not merely given you talents and skills and intellect for insight into how business works so that you can be successful and climb the corporate ladder, but that you might shape corporations for the kingdom. That that's possible. And so if there's any removal that God is trying to do in your life, it's removing the patterns and the habits and the sinfulness that guide you as you walk into the workplace so that you can walk in in the power of the Holy Spirit living in a spiritual plane and a spiritual reality, not merely physical. That it's not just a spreadsheet that you're making. (laughs) There's an excellence to what you're doing that causes people to go, wow, there's an excellence in that person's life that I want. What attracted people to Jesus was not some spiritual teaching alone. It was power in this life. It was wisdom for this life. It was the ability to transcend offenses and not sit in outrage, but to forgive in the face of it. It was that he reigned in life. And that's what God wants in this newness of life that he's bringing to you and to us and to the city, is to reign in life through renewal. And he did that so that you might walk in it. Not just believe it, Not just study and know it, but walk in it. So what does it mean and how do we walk in it? Well, that word walk literally means full circle. And so I want you to understand walk in it as a 360 degree perspective on your life that God allows for you to change and refine and grow in so that every area of your life is changed and renewed. What that looks like for me is one of my habits for the last few years uh, has been to create kind of like a pie chart of my life. I'm a nerd. I'm an engineer. It's how my brain, my brain works. But one of the words that people, someone gave me was, this, was a word of isolation. And... Uh, isolation can be a bad thing if you isolate yourself from people and from God. But what it meant to me as I received it was that God wanted me to lay out my life and isolate pieces of it. Myself, me being a man, me being a husband, a father, a pastor, a preacher, all these different aspects of my life, and then one by one isolate them and go, what does God want me to reign in this portion of my life? What would it look like for me to walk in it, to have a full 360-degree change by the Holy Spirit that I would reign in this area, that I could become a better husband that loves my wife like Christ, that I could be a father and a parent like God is to me? What does that look like this year? What does it look like for me to pastor you in such a way that you want God and not just what I say? What does it look like for you to be equipped and empowered? And God just isolated that so that I could feel and experience a personal upgrade in each aspects of our life. And he wants to do the same for you. He wants to do the same for you. And the goodness of God is that he often starts with healing. That's why I talk about it so much. Because we want to move to the successful reigning part without dealing with the pain that's actually holding us back. 
We would love to think that we could just leave behind the past and leave behind the hurts and leave behind those wounds. But they go with us. They grow with us until we say enough. Until we say enough. And then God goes into new power and new gifts and new experiences of the Holy Spirit so that you can walk in it. How do I know that? Because every story of the Bible that has an individual involved has gone through these upgrades. The very writer of this passage, Paul, was once named Saul. And he was once just a Jewish boy before he trained and became excellent as a Jewish leader. So excellent that he hated Christianity because it came against Judaism. And so he hated it so much, he was an excellent killer in organizing people for doing that. Until one day God said, enough. And God showed up in his face and said, I'm tired of you living that way. And Saul became Paul that day by a conversion, not just of his name, but of his entire spirit. Knowing God and living for God instead of living against God. And then from there, we don't really get to see the full breadth of it, but he studies Christ in his life. He seeks to understand it so much so that he's discipled and mentored, and then he raises up as a leader, set apart to go take the gospel to new territory that hasn't been reached. And then he becomes a writer of most of the New Testament. And most of us read that and we think, well, that's just Paul. (laughs) Except it was Abram in the Old Testament, called out, nothing. And then he became Abraham, father of many nations. Except that it was David, the youngest son of a family that had many other heirs before him until he became king of Israel. When are you going to stop believing that this newness of life and reigning in life is for the special Christians and start understanding that it was for you and every single person you know? It's for all of us. And the way that I want to describe it to you today is really to ask you, what does it look like for you to level up? What does it look like for you to experience an upgrade? And I think about this in terms of video games, because why not? Um, I went to uh, dinner with my sons on Friday night, and they tried to convince me to download download, uh, Clash Royale, this video game that they're obsessed with. And so I asked them, well, what is Clash Royale? And they tried to explain it to me, and I've never felt older in my entire life. (laughs) Uh, Because they talked about the starting point and how if you've got to get a certain number of cards, and that gives you a little bit of upgrade here, and you have to know when to play this. And then there's arenas, and once you get to the arenas, you can get legendaries. And and I was like, I'm not going to do this. Um, But they get it, and they know what it takes to level up. I grew up playing video games. I still have some simpler games on my phone. (laughs) And I just want to get to the next level. And God wants you to get to the next level. And in this room, I think there are four level ups that God is saying today. Make the decision to pursue a new level in your faith and in your walk with God. For some of you, the first level is that of new faith. To actually be in Christ. Some of you have explored Christianity enough to you know, that you know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is who he said he was. It's time to just say, I believe. 
For others of you, it's been a family heritage thing, but it hasn't been your heritage. And so you may have been raised in it and ran from it, and now you're coming back, and you're ready to never run again. And so your first level up is that of new faith, to say, I believe. And it's not private. It's not a hidden decision. There was an article I read this week that I thought was stupid on the surface. Um, It was in Christianity Today, um, and it was about a woman in Seattle who said her New Year's resolution was to finally let other people know they were a Christian. I was like, really? What a low bar. It's easy for me. I'm a pastor. They assume it. But then I, I was like, how quick I am to forget that when I left being an engineer, there were people that said, really, you're going to be a pastor? I didn't even know you were a Christian. How many people in your workplace know that you're a Christian? How many of them would be surprised to find that you go to church, that you believe in a God that reigns over all humanity? Part of you having new faith is coming out with your faith and telling people that you believe in Jesus Christ. That's level up one. Level two is what I call ownership. Ownership. That for some of you, it's time to do the work of owning your faith as your faith, your Bible as your Bible. It's ownership. I have a friend um, who owns a liquor store in Queens. It's his family's liquor store that he grew up with. His parents owned it and ran it. He had a successful finance career and had a side hustle helping out his parents with the liquor store. As his parents retired, the question of what was going to happen to the store came up. And he left behind his finance career to take ownership of the liquor store. Now, his life dramatically changed when the liquor store was a side hustle that someone else owned to him owning it because he had to do the work and when something had to get done that he didn't know how to do, he had to figure it out. For some of you, it's time for you to own your faith as something that you need to figure out and study and read about and invest in. That the Bible is something that you can believe and understand and so get an audio Bible if that's how you learn. Get a Bible that doesn't have chapter and verse if it's going to be confusing. But you can do what it takes. We are successful enough and educated enough to do the work and take ownership of our faith. That's why we're doing this soul care class as a way of training you. Some of you hear soul care and you're like, oh man, not for me. Most of you are men. (laughs) But when are you going to finally do the work? How long will you wait? to do the work to actually walk in the Holy Spirit. Level two is ownership. Level three is what I call no disclaimers. No disclaimers. Some of you have started to uh, use disclaimers. Yes, you know God. Yes, you know the Word. Yes, you have faith in, in that God can heal. But you're too young or you're too old now to do something new for God. Or a past sin has defined you, and so you have a disclaimer of like, well, God can't use someone that, that has done that or exists in that realm, or even a current sin. God can't use me because I'm still struggling with this. Well, he used David. <laughs> that man struggled more than you. Others of you just say, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't really know enough. 
please stop. Because God has given the Holy Spirit, and when he says he gave it to you, he said it was better than when Jesus was walking alongside of you. That he could give you what to say, when to say it. That he could enlighten truth for you. So it's time for some of you to just walk in no disclaimers. And the last level is at the level of new risks. What I mean by that is it's time to stop holding back. It's time to stop hesitating when you hear, I should pray for this person right now in the middle of the workplace. I should pray for this person here on the street. I should invite this person to church. I should give of my time in this way. What level do you need to upgrade in your faith? What area of your life is God saying, this area is the upgrade I'm after right now? God is really good at renovations. He doesn't just tear the whole thing down and rebuild. Little by little, he comes into your life and puts a finger on this area and says, I'm going to change this, and then we'll walk into this. You don't have to fix everything all at once. You just have to listen to what God is saying this right now. And if you don't know what that sounds like, it's likely the thing that you think about first. Because he cares about what you care about. And what I feel like God is telling us today as a church and you as an individual is it's no longer a question of readiness. It's not a question of are you ready for this. We're not in a a season of preparation anymore. We've already prepared for this. We are now in a season of pursuing and walking in the promises that God has given us in this newness of life. It's time. It's a new day. And God says it's time for you to walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Spirit, you work with impulses. You work with our own thoughts. And you work with the words and the prayers of others. And so now, as we reflect and as we respond, do your work, Holy Spirit. In power, in truth and in life, do your work of illuminating what each of us needs to change and needs to upgrade. Make us people that reign in this life and let us stop holding back from walking in the fullness and the newness of life. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.